Hey, listeners, this is Neil Ludevic and Amir Jandali. Welcome to Leave Looking Up, where we have uplifting conversations about the state of the world with our heroes, with the intention to demystify, orient, and leave you, our listeners, inspired. For this episode, we sat down with a truly inspiring woman, Sheila Marie whose voice in the world of mental health, social justice, and wellness is making real impact. Sheila has many titles, including author, influencer, and educator. But most important to her, Sheila is the founder of Curvy Curly Conscious, a movement focused on decolonizing and celebrating Black women's bodies. In today's episode, we learn how to have a conversation with your future self, self-acceptance, the power of finding your own community, tips and tricks for success, and more as we learn about Sheila's journey. And now, without further ado, let's start this episode. We hope you enjoyed as much as we did and leave afterwards looking up. I would encourage you to trust yourself. Allow yourself to know. Allow yourself to so If you're not getting something from somewhere, you have to figure out a way to get what you need, right? Why am I saying that? Is because I want you to be happy and I want you to be whole. And regardless of what's going on, the important thing is always that we get our needs met, right? Masturbation and manifestation. That was one of our favorite topics from last year. What is that? Uh-huh, I don't know. How do I do it? Sheila Marie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you both for having me. I'm excited to be here. I first met Sheila at a TEDx Harlem event I coordinated in 2012. I feel that I've lived so many lives. I'm still living so many lives. I have so many lives I will live that I sometimes don't know where's the beginning. When Neil floated the idea of getting to sit down with Sheila and ask her anything, I was psyched to say the least. I want to know how she came to be the inspiring person she is today. I was raised in South Florida and my mother is Cuban, but white racially. And her family is also white Cuban. And then my father's African-American. And so they divorced when I was three. And then my mother remarried a white man who was, I would say, typically like Southern American. That's how I became the only Black person in my household. And my day-to-day -day experience was I probably didn't really see many Black people, maybe at schools where I saw the most. But even then, I was in the gifted and talented program. And maybe out of 50 kids, there was four Black kids. And in my class, there was one, and it was me. And then at the same time, I had my little sister who's blonde hair and blue eyes, and she's my best friend to this day. And so, you know, I remember when she was born, I, I just thought she was like a baby doll. You know, we had like Little Mermaid. We had predominantly all the princesses and everything were white, fair skin. A lot of the dolls I was playing with were white. And so I had this like little beautiful white baby, and I was just like, oh, this is amazing. I'm like, this is like Toni Morrison and bluest eye. I was just like, what the hell did I do wrong? What the fuck? Sorry, can I curse you? <laughs> you do whatever you want. When I was little, I was like, okay, so explain to me how the hell I got like this. Like what? You know, I was, I was asking, having these like existential conversations with my mom and she was just overworked and she didn't have time to answer this shit, you know? But I was just like, okay, okay, so wait, break it down, break it down. I know what happened. Okay, so I know what happened. Okay, babies are all born white. 
That's what I thought. That was the standard, right? That's the norm. And then like, there's like a tanning part in the hospital and like you go and you like put your baby in the tanner and like you take them out when you want, when they're ready. And you just forgot me in there. Right. My mom was like washing dishes or something like, oh, she like, yeah. Okay. Okay. I know what happened. So you, you could take me to Home Depot because we went there the other day and there's paint so we can fix this. And so then when I realized, okay, you can't go to Home Depot and paint yourself, I was like, well, you have to pick a side. That's the message I was getting. It's black or white, especially in America. It breaks down to a binary that always falls apart when you put it under a microscope. But as a kid, I'm like, it's either black or white. I can't fit in with white kids. I was like, I don't want to. I want to be around people that look like me. Like, what's up? Like, I'm watching Family Matters. No, I'm a father on the force. And that kid was my son. I think that you rousted my son. Come on, give me a break. It's dark. It's a black guy. Oh, case closed. Lock him up. You know, bottom line, your kid was in the wrong part of town. Steve, no more demonstrations, okay? Good idea. But I appreciate all your help. You little crusader. I believe in you and I believe in your cause. Well, I appreciate that. Oh my gosh. Why? What's wrong? If you want black history, go back to Africa. And I'm looking at like, wow, what would it be like to be around a family that looks like you, to be around women who know how to do your hair or know how to like ashy putting on white people lotion and it's not working. You know, it's just like very rudimentary things, but they have so much meaning. And so I just decided I was going to be black. Like that was it. This was like going into middle school, maybe sixth grade. I was like, I'm tired of eating lunch in the bathroom and being scared that I'm gonna be bullied and made fun of because I'm an Oreo, I'm hanging with white girls. You know what I'm saying? I cut off all my white girlfriends and they were my homies. <laughs> I love them. And I just told myself, you gotta fucking choose. So I was like, all right, guys, I can't come over anymore. Sorry, can't ride to school with you anymore. Mom, drop me off in the back so I can walk. I don't want anyone to know I have a white mom. I'm not showing any pictures of my baby sister and I'm just gonna like fit in. And that's really what I did for maybe middle school, high school. It started to become more natural and organic. I found a real group of friends who are, are like authentically attracted to me and not what I did in middle school, which was kind of like, oh, black, you're just black. I'm gonna fit in now. Everything's gonna be good, but that doesn't mean you align on, on shared experience or values or anything else other than a uh, skin tone. And so that was that right there, that little story can encapsulate like a lot of the themes that stayed with me throughout my whole life. Having been on this journey of self-acceptance, Sheila realized that not choosing between different parts of her identity gave her the ability to be kind of a chameleon. She could weave in and out of different communities with ease and confidence. I think that my early brain cemented this idea of one of these things is not like the other. You're not really going to fit into groups. You kind of don't know who you are. You're too much for this group, not enough for that group. And in, in many ways, I created that throughout my life. That's why I go in and out of so many circles. I was a teaching artist, but not formally a teacher because I was like, I don't want to be a teacher. Teach us the one I have my freedom, you know? And then I was in acting, but I didn't really go into it and, and be it full time. Like I was pursuing it full time, but always had the backdrop of like, I need to teach, you know, just in case this thing doesn't work out. I don't know if I'm good, but I'm not that good. I'm dating a rapper, but I'm not a rapper's wife. I'm not a rapper's girlfriend. I'm kind of different. I'm a little weird. So always like being in those liminal spaces or in and out at the same time, I feel that has been my greatest strength, which I have not always been able to call on. 
for those that want to really internalize what this is and understand who you are and what you're building, can you tell us about Curly Curvy Conscious? You know, for the people that don't know, Curvy Curly Conscious is a company that creates safe spaces for women to heal and grow. We are most known for the Unruly Retreat, which is our retreat that is exclusively for women who identify as Black. We do that, our retreat, every year, but we also do other events for women who are interested in healing and growing, but not taking it too seriously. And I think that that's the best thing about the Curvy Curly Conscious community is that I'm not here to be some guru that is um, proclaimed to have it all together and better than you and you should aspire to be me. No, that's not it. Let's say you're just coming into a Curvy Curly Conscious event. And I would say my little spiel. The first thing we're going to do is we have to get rid of judgment. Self-judgment is one of the, the biggest blocks into being honest with yourself. And in order to do anything we're going to do beyond this point, we need radical honesty and the experience of not judging ourselves and others. This spiel is informed by her experience working as a teaching artist in New York back when Neil met her at the TEDx event almost 10 years ago. One of my favorite things to do when I walked into a classroom we had to be put into these classrooms with kids who do not want to hear theater stuff at all. And they would always complain. And what I would do is I would walk into the classroom and say, okay, I know you don't know me. I'm not your teacher. I know you don't want to do this. I'm going to give you 10 seconds of complaining, 10 seconds to complain, 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 get it all out. And then from there on, if complaining shows up, we're going to say thank you, but no thank you. So we are going to do the same thing with judgment. Any judgment that you have of yourself, anything that you're, you're nervous about, any judgment you have of the uh, empowerment, empower, women's empowerment, uh, anything you have, you're going to say it. We're 10 seconds. Everybody's going to get loud. Everybody's going to say anything that, that's standing in the way of them getting what they need today. And then we count to three. One, two, three. Oh, empowerment events aren't really empowering. I can't believe what I'm doing here. I'm, I'm alone. Nobody's going to like me. I'm not going to make any friends. Oh, my God. Did I leave the microwave on up? Okay, and now, welcome to Curvy Curly Conscious. That's how we like lay the foundation. So what we notice is like, that's just a small like, you know, activity, but it's that cosmology, like it's that way of seeing the world that's the foundation for all of the events. Sheila built a beautiful space for black women. And from the very beginning, it was unruly indeed. The first retreat we ever did, it's at a clothing optional, resort. And I didn't quite know what I was getting into, but this is the Aries in me. We go and then ask questions later. And the first night, so you can choose. You don't have to, you can choose. There's like a side you can go in the pool and it's like, everybody's going to have regular swim stuff on or whatever. Or you can go to the other side, but you have to be new. You have to be fully new. Like that's the only way. Everybody was on that side. The first night, everybody was, it was almost a hundred of us and we were all over there. And I was like, how did I get here? But it was the coolest experience of my life. And I'm so happy that I was able to do it because it was a little awkward for five minutes. But then after that, it was, it's, oh, you have a belly ring. Oh my goodness. Oh my, is that your C-section scar? That's so cool. Me too. Da, da, da. I love your stretch marks. Look at mine. It was just beautiful. And I was like, this is the world I want for women. <laughs> it was so cool. I wish I could do one of those again. <laughs> that sounds like the most awesome retreat. Sheila succeeded in making a liberating space for Black women free from everything society projects onto them. I don't know if I'm, like, human. Like, I know that I'm human, for sure, but I kind of feel like sometimes I was 
a part of like some other people and they like dropped me off here by mistake. And I really am not supposed to be here. I thought for many years, I'm too sensitive for this earth. Like I'm crying, everything hurts my feelings. I'm feeling people's emotions all the times. I didn't know what an empath was for many years. So I just thought, am I crazy? Like, you know, I'm I'm highly spiritual. I I feel like I'm always seeing things that other people are not seeing. And then if I say it, people say that I'm not and I feel crazy. And then I'm a black woman. I'm not supposed to be this sensitive. You're supposed to be strong, but I don't fit in. And I always felt that I just am in the wrong world. And then I found my community and I found other women who are saying, me too. I'm also sensitive, but I just don't show it. Or I've never even had the space to explore it. And so I just think about the lineage of of Black women's bodies and our, you know, labor, taking care of our own family, breastfeeding other people's children, and then coming home and having to take care of your children and how much we identify our worthiness our value, our self-identity about how much we can do, how much we can work. And then not only for Black women, everybody, especially in America, we live in fucking Wolf of Wall Street, like it, where you you are worthy to pay some what you can produce. What have you produced? And even me, I'm in the women's empowerment space. And, and I used to be like, yeah, yeah, girl boss. That's what I want to be. I want to be a girl boss. My company made this much. I, I did this much, did it. And then I thought to myself like, we're kind of just recreating the same thing, but in pink. You know what I'm saying? Recreating oppressive structures isn't what Sheila wanted to be doing. Like many of us before the pandemic, she was going full speed. But once everything stopped, she realized it wasn't sustainable. Something was going to give if she didn't slow down and reevaluate what success meant to her if it was no longer pink girl boss. I felt that I was on a treadmill and then pandemic hit and I, and I got off the treadmill and I was like, oh my God, I'm fucking tired. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. I don't like the way I'm living. I don't like working this hard. Black bodies in the United States have been defined around their labor and even in worthiness around their labor. You know, if you could um, produce a certain amount of cotton, then you would be a better slave at that time. And I think that for my community being taken completely out of that environment. And it's a total disruption that you don't even realize I am a sensitive too. I feel like that also. I also feel like I may be just going with the flow of things that I don't like. I haven't really thought about how much I don't like that. And I don't know if you can come to that realization without these types of disruptions. And we were very privileged to be able to have them. I feel like I have a responsibility to offer up these disruptions in a day-to-day type of way or in a way for somebody who can't go away, can't afford a retreat, can't leave their family. When she says disruptions, I picture a train coming to an abrupt stop, having to pause and take stock, taking the time to ask, what am I actually doing? Interrupting the breakneck pace of our daily lives, allowing for deeper reflection and increased self-awareness? It's less about doing and more about not doing and being okay with that, which can have the greatest impact on our mindsets. I saw a TikTok the other day that said something like, for people who grew up in chaos, 
peace feels like boredom. And I have to remind myself that, you know, there are times where I was like, oh, more, I should be doing more things and more and more and more and remind myself like what a gift it is to just feel like, that I'm not on high alert right now. Like remind my nervous system that we're not at war and it's okay to, to be. You, you'll notice even from my response time and emails and the, the amount of, of jobs that I take, I give myself space now that I have never given myself permission to do because I actually want to live because we're a human being, not a human doing. And for me, that doesn't mean going on a big trip. It just means like, oh, you know what? I haven't played Sims in 10 years. I fucking love the Sims. I'm going to play Sims today. That's it. You know, I'm going to read a book today, whatever. You know, not everything has to be geared towards uh, what am I doing and creating and finding that time to just be. And it sounds like a kind of cliche, but it really is true for me. Neil and I are speaking with Sheila Marie about why she started the Curvy Curly Conscious Movement. Together, we want to dig deeper into the tools we've all used when facing obstacles, whether they're beyond our control or inside our own heads. There's one awesome tool which has been sort of a guiding mantra in where do you go when you have nowhere to go is your mind. Your mind is this infinite abyss and there's this cool tool called the Invisible Council. It's a space that four, five, ten, however many people alive or dead that you idolize, that you embody, that if you have questions about what to do and how to do it, take 30 minutes on your Monday morning and have an Invisible Council meeting. And you sit down and you have this meeting and what you will learn about yourself just through the perspectives of the other people that are coming there, that are sitting down at your little council meeting and having that community that can challenge you and that can push you. I think there's an ideal of masculinity that is like, I don't need these kinds of tools and resources and taking a moment to myself. I was raised in a household with the idea of bottling your emotions and, and pulling, pulling yourself up by the bootstraps was completely internalized. I'm just now in a space where that's shifting and changing. But it took that suggestion in combination with looking at a few of my role models and hearing that they did that too. There's a serious decolonization that needs to happen both in our bodies for, for what work is. And I think a millennial, a millennial stance of you are defined by the work that you do. What you said about the Invisible Council is so interesting because one of my favorite meditation is, is based on, have you ever heard of quantum jumping? No. I based it off of that quantum jumping is the principle like there could be unlimited parallel universes and unlimited parallel versions of you. And so if you're having an issue here, all you have to do is just go meet the other version of you who's figured it out and see what they did and ask them what they did. Spend some time, watch what they're eating, watch what they're doing. And it's very similar to that. When you said, where do you go? And you have nowhere to go. And I, it's so true. When I started my journey and I was living in New York and that I couldn't afford to do any of that. I went to free yoga classes, but I was meditating every day. I just was like, I don't want to be here. I'm going, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. At that time, I was just getting out of an abusive relationship. And I was like, I, I can't even imagine a, a guy like we having a healthy dynamic. Like I'm, I'm worthless. Ah, I'm unlovable. You know, like when you're out of a breakup, you feel terrible. And so I was going there like, let me just go visit the version of myself who, well, what do I want? 
I actually do want to be married. I think I've been telling myself this whole time I don't want to be married because I want to be like a, a feminist. Like I'm independent. I don't need anything. I'm going to just live like on a commune. So I was like, I'm going to go meet married Sheila and I'm going to go see what she's doing. And so this is at the time when I have no marriage prospects in sight at all. I was like, all right, I'm just going to go and, and see what I started reading. I was devouring books at the time. And so I went into this meditation, quantum leaping. You basically, you see a door and then you open the door and on the other side of the door will be yourself. You have to identify whatever that that self is. Okay, it's myself who's married. And first is I just observed and I just saw, and I have this journal entry to this day. And I wrote down that I noticed that they were getting up like on their own accord. It wasn't like an alarm clock. So that told me, I think they work for themselves. It's like me and a guy. And I was like, okay, then when I saw him, he was darker skin. I was like, yes. And he had like these locks. <laughs> he was like, oh, he is so fun. He had locks and they were like down his back. And I was like, okay, I, I couldn't tell that he could be an athlete, but he's not an athlete. Like he's he's very athletically skilled, but that's not what he does. I, I couldn't figure out what he does. But then I saw that I was making breakfast and it was just a slow, like getting out of the house. So I was like, we're not rushed for anything, but the house looked really nice. So we might be doing okay. And I wrote all those things down and like, Years later, when I met Ace, I had to read him the journal entry. Ace is her husband, better known as Ace Hood, the multi-platinum selling rapper and recording artist, who you may know from Love and Hip Hop in Miami. I'm so blessed and thankful and privileged. And then he he's muscular. He could be an athlete. He used to play football, but he doesn't. He has lots. I was like, this is crazy. Like last year we did a couples therapy and one of our exercises was to go off and we individually had to write down all the versions of ourselves that ever existed from like any time that you felt that there was a transition and you went from one version of yourself to another, then that's a new one and list them and like give them a name. And I cannot tell you, that was the most profound exercise I've ever done. Not only for me, but learning that about him, but even myself sitting down and being like, wow, it's almost as if they're all these versions of myself are a part of this orchestra and they needed to go off and each of them needed to have their like rehearsals, like the violin, the strings need to go together and harmonize with the strings and the percussion. And, and, and they, they can't all harmonize together at the same time. They need to hear everybody's like different tones and ways of working. But then when they come together, I feel like previous points in my life, I was fighting them. I don't want to be that one. I don't like that one. I reject that one, that one. Rah. And now I feel like I'm just now coming to a place where they can come together and harmonize. The ability to have harmony within yourself absolutely changes the game. I appreciate what Sheila is talking about because giving yourself permission to see is super important. I always check in with my future self and see what he's doing. It helps me work through whatever challenge I'm facing. So how does Sheila give herself permission to see? I'm writing my second book this year. The editor asked me like, who are you writing this book for? And I kept thinking, uh, uh, my community. I'm writing it for a woman who had a similar experience to me and and all of those answers. And I, and I kept going into my meditation and being like, why does it feel like it's, it's there, but it's not quite there? And the other day I was like, all right, all right. 
All right, Sheila, who wrote the book already. Sheila, who wrote the book already, and Sheila, who has, it's amazing, New York Times bestseller, blah, blah, like, who is it? And, and I saw her, and she looked like almost like a superhero. And it was like very clear to me. I was like, oh, okay, I'm writing the book for myself. Oh my gosh, am I narcissistic? Or, 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 you know, there's so many narcissistic traits. That's such a buzzword now. No, no, no. It has to be altruistic, it has to be selfless, it has to be for my community. And then what I realized is that, like, if you have a history of people pleasing, what you find is that you can't even be egocentric because you don't even know who you are. Your whole identity has been usurped by you being sensitive to the needs and the thoughts and the opinions of others around you. And then they've been molded into your identity. That to the point where if you don't ever sit down and get to know who you are, if you don't ever sit down and let yourself be the captain of that ship, you can't then adjust. Then you can't even manage. Then you can't even shift. Because I mean, it's like you have the first step is being like, okay, what part is me and what part is not me? And how did I get here and why? And what do I want to do now? And so I think that going back to spend time with myself felt so comforting, even just if it gave me the indication that I could do it, that I knew. And so now like coming here to when I'm writing my book, I very much was like, okay, that's it. I'm writing the book for those past versions of Sheila because at any point during my journey, if she would have read this book, it would have helped her in some way. And I also am writing it for the future version of me that can only be born if I write the book. This beautiful picture that you've painted in my head is this future, like I, I, you've painted it. I, I see this version, this future version of yourself and you meeting it. I think that sometimes I have to make sure to remind myself that I met her because I'm always thinking about two future versions. So remind yourself that you have caught up with her in a certain way and fighting through a lot of imposter syndrome of like, well, why do people care what I have to say? Like, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a PhD. I'm that, like telling myself all of these reasons why I'm not qualified. And so I have to remind myself to like imposter syndrome that's like shows up for a lot of us now. I have a question. And it's along this train of thought here, and, and it's about who you look up to. And before I f fully release that question, I also want to offer another reflection, another acknowledgement, something else that I'm, that I'm seeing, that I'm hearing here. There's a book that I love. It's my most gifted book. It's called The Anatomy of the Spirit. And there's a part in that book where it talks about the uh, four stages of personal power. And one of these words came up. The two stages are revolution and involution. The third stage is narcissism. Then the fourth is evolution. So the first two, in short, are stages where you kind of start realizing that you might be thinking differently than people around you. Maybe you realize that you're queer. Maybe you realize that you're actually don't want to be living in this city anymore. Or maybe you might realize, oh my gosh, what's going on with single-use plastics? Something about that is different, right? And then in the third stage, this narcissistic stage, which you said earlier, you said that, you know, there could be a lot of different interpretations to that word. In this case, the narcissistic phase is one where you're pretty firm on your new value. You know, you do your best to carry your reusable water bottle everywhere. You know, you feel proud and you want to dress a certain way or et cetera. There's just this like phase where you're like, this is who I am right now. And if the person remains steadfast throughout this process, they shift into the fourth stage, which is evolution. And they shift from being a person to a persona and one that can create a field that galvanizes inspiration. And I'm saying this because I want to offer that reflection that what I'm hearing from you is, as a girl, you were realizing all of these ways in which 
the world made you feel like you didn't belong. And then somewhere along the line, you did find your belonging. And then that cupeth runneth over. That micro became a reflection of the macro and what you created for yourself, your own sense of belonging. And as we're, as we're hearing from you and as we're coloring in these wonderful lines of your story, who do you look up to now, in addition to your future self, who creates that sense of belonging for you? And I really, really look up to people who are bold. I honestly look up to the Generation Z. I think that's why I like TikTok so much because they are so bold and so intelligent and have such a grasp on how to talk about race and gender that my generation is still like just learning about. And they are so bold with how they they speak openly and accept who they are and hold themselves accountable. I feel that Generation Z also has a kindness that I really think is refreshing. Humans can be really harsh. And I really admire kind people because it is very hard. It takes a lot of strength and courage to be kind in our world. I love that you share that. It gives me a, it, it gives me a different lens to look into that. And I also think it, it, it segues really well into this idea of who are we giving thanks to? Who are we recognizing in our lives, both that we know and that we don't know that inspire us? Is anyone that you haven't given thanks to already that you would want to do right now? I wish I could find Miss Miles. <laughs> Miss Miles was my eighth grade AP English teacher. And on the first day of school, she gave the whole class roses. Everybody had like an individual rose. And we were just like, what are we doing? This is a rose. And she said, now look at your rose and look at everybody else's rose, right? Everyone has a different rose. Some are closed, some are more open than others, some are different sizes. Your journey in this class this year is going to be yours. Don't compare yourself to the people around you. And so that was so comforting to me. She set the tone for how we were going to move through the year. And she always made learning so fun. She did everything in such a fun and creative way. She held us to very high standards. But if you fell behind, she always met you where you were. And I never forget that day with the roses. I, I've tried to find her before. And I, I hope that this, this finds her because Miss Miles deserves all her roses as well. Miss Miles. Thank you. If you are listening to this, please reach out to us. Thank you, Miss Miles. Thank you, Miss Miles. <laughs> what do you want our listeners, your listeners, to do after like this podcast just finished right now? Where do you want their energy to go to? As soon as this ends, sit for a second in silence before like you move on to the next activity, even if it's actually 60 seconds. And just sit and ask yourself if there's anything that you want to take. Anything, a lot of things are going to fly by, but is there anything that you want to take with you? It's like, is there any one thing that you can take, any gem that you can take to implement into your daily life? Because there's so many, I'm sure, here. And I really want to say thank you because I don't do podcasts. I feel like I got some type of healing on some aspect of my life just being here <laughs> from being in, in men, men that are supportive and men that are uplifting women and, and giving us the mic or sharing. I think it's really beautiful and you should definitely just be honored for that. I'm honored by your presence. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you. <laughs> so, so refreshing. There's serious blushing happening right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for real the version of myself <laughs> that 
is working on internalizing a compliment is is struggling right now. <laughs> the other uh, <laughs> version says, let's diffuse that with humor. Okay. <laughs> so this feels like a great moment to segue to the rapid fire. <laughs> Ooh, favorite. I All right. <laughs> I'm starting. Ready? Your favorite movie. Oh my gosh. Um, oh that's too hard. That's too hard. Ah, a revolutionary road. Favorite song. That's too hard also. My favorite song? Oh, uh part of your world little mermaid. Wow. Love it. Uh favorite foreign word. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, in um, where was I? In Dakar, Senegal. That's how you say like you say or Nangadef, Jedadef. I just remember it's just it was just beautiful. That's all I can say. Favorite fruit? Ooh, I'm gonna go with apple, man. Apples. All right, pancakes or waffles? Waffles, all day. Oh, oh yeah. She didn't even hesitate on that one. When are your golden hours? When are you most productive? Like 2 to 5 p.m. And to bring it home, chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. I want to I throw one other, one other question in there. What's the last thing you do before you go to bed? Before you, go to, wait, before you end your day? The last thing I do then is that, oh, I watch Netflix. That's the last thing I do at the end of my day. Yeah. Me and my husband, we go watch something. <laughs> and the compliment to that is, what is the first thing you do when you wake up? Or like, how do you start your day? Uh, 30 minutes of exercise for my mentals and everything. Thank you so much, Sheila, for joining us, for being part of Leave Looking Up and, and giving a little bit of your time and energy and mentality to us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Seriously, thank you so much, Sheila. Thank you, the feeling is mutual. Thank you so much. You can follow Sheila on all social channels at The Sheila Marie or on her website at www.thesheilamarie.com. Leave Looking Up is hosted by myself, Neil Ludevig, and my co-host, Amir Jandali, and produced by our small but mighty team at Moon 31, a company dedicated to creating platforms for meaningful conversations that tackle the important issues of today. For folks that love what they're hearing today and want to hear and see more, we have the complete, uncut, and raw episodes in video form available online on our fan page via Patreon at www.leavelookingup.com fans. There you can support what we're creating. Hear sound bites that didn't make it to the final cut. Gain wisdom from our guests, score merch, be the first to access our content, and more. Also, we'd like to take a second to thank you for joining us today. So if you haven't already, please be sure to leave a rating and review of the podcast in your app of choice. We also recommend following us on social media at Leave Looking Up on all social channels or subscribing to our mailing list for special content, news, and first dibs on the episodes via our website at leavelookingup.com. This episode was created through the combined efforts of myself as executive producer and our lead producer, Lushik Lotus Lee. The Moon 31 team also includes designer Andrea Kang, Glass Slipper Media, and engineer Justin Jet Carter. An extra special thanks to engineer TJ Dumser, who mixed and mastered this episode. Original theme music by Brady Watt, and background music provided from Blue Dot Sessions.